Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Do we take it then that the era of COVID is officially over? The Prime Minister, coincidentally with an election happening soon, says the remaining restrictions like the seven-day isolation period are now lifted. The reality is that COVID has been over for months, for most people anyway. But you're still reminded of the stupidity of the time when you go to a medical centre, as I did a couple of weeks ago. There you have to pick up a mask at the front door and then wear it to check in with the receptionist who is behind a perspex screen. Why you need to do that at a medical centre reception but not at a supermarket checkout uh, defies logic. But then didn't so many things defy logic during the madness? The most egregious thing that happened, of course, were the mandates. They were a they were a thoroughly despicable denial of human rights, which nobody has ever been able to show achieved anything apart from making people jobless and causing countless people stress and anxiety, let alone breaking down relationships. They most certainly did not stop the spread of the disease. And there are serious doubts they stopped anybody catching it either. Ironically, as the restrictions come off, the number of COVID cases is rising. But we don't care anymore. Chris Hipkins says the final act will be the report of the inquiry into the response. That inquiry, though, is a complete waste of time because of its scope or lack of it and the people conducting the inquiry. What is needed is a full judicial inquiry where questions can be asked about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine and about why the vaccination rollout continued even after a coroner found at least two people had died in New Zealand because of taking it. Never in the history of New Zealand has a medicine which has officially killed a person been allowed to stay in use. Usually anything even potentially dangerous is off the shelf super fast, like that blood pressure pill, Quinipril. But here were deaths caused by government directive. There has been no apology, no compensation, no nothing from government. And that's why we need more questions asked and more politicians who are prepared to ask them. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. When I left the Taxpayers' Union Board earlier this year, work was just starting on an alternative bill to the Three Waters legislation, which is now law, although not due to come into effect for another three years or so. Late last week, the TU finally produced the bill that can be taken up by any new national and act government to replace the current asset grab that central government has made under Three Waters, or is it Ten Waters? It's still Three Waters, just Ten 
water services entities. The key points to this TU bill are that local water assets stay in local control. They won't be run by the council directly, but by specially established council-controlled organisations or CCOs like Watercare in Auckland and Wellington Water, which already exist. Now, they may involve just one council or a number of neighbouring councils uh, could join up, as has happened already in Wellington and is very likely to happen among smaller and less populated authorities. But the point is local ownership is maintained and the CCOs will have directors appointed by their shareholding councils and those directors appointed because of their skills will be responsible to them, the local councils, not to central government. The CCOs will then have financial oversight of the water assets and the investment needed in them and may charge ratepayers for water consumption but only enough to cover the cost of any capital investment. The CCOs will also be required to uphold water quality under the standards and oversight set by the national regulator Tomata Arawai. What this proposal does is take co-governance and te mana o te wai statements out of the legislation and replace those concepts with the need for mana whenua to be consulted as they are in other areas of local government. The CCOs may listen to cultural claims about water, but as with any other citizens, the CCOs will not be obliged to give preference to such claims. This whole exercise is a really worthwhile initiative by the Taxpayers' Union. The National and the ACT parties could do a lot worse than adopt this plan. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. You know, I wish Christopher Luxon would stop apologising for his MPs and I wish National Party MPs would show a bit of spine after displaying some political courage in the first place. So the latest story goes like this. Tova O'Brien formerly of News Hub, now of Stuff, goes on Twitter to promote and link her column, her latest column, on how Chris Luxon's personal brand as leader of the National Party is trust deficient and how the National Party is distancing itself from Christopher Luxon's personal brand because of that. Now, it's a column in which Tova O'Brien, as she is allowed to do, expresses an opinion about the National Party leader and it's not very complimentary about him. Absolutely no problem. That's what political journalists do, political columnists do. But one of the National Party MPs, Chris Pink, is understandably a bit peeved about this. National MPs generally don't like Ms O'Brien's opinions, which they're entitled to do as well. So he has a bit of a pot shot at Tova O'Brien by making a point that her ratings weren't very good when she hosted a radio breakfast show. He said that her poor ratings crashed an entire radio station, which is, of course, absolutely true. Remember, Today FM. Then the former boss of that said radio station, Dallas Gurney, accuses Chris Pink of verging on bullying. Oh, come on, Mr Gurney, it's called politics. Anyway, Chris Luxon is asked about the exchange and then says what Chris Pink wrote was insensitive and inappropriate. Oh, come on again. Stop being a woke PC corporate chief executive, Chris Luxon, and be a hard-nosed political leader. 
If Tova O'Brien can't handle that, then she better get out of the political fire. At any rate, I'm pretty sure she can handle it. After all, she's landed on her feet with a nice little job writing a few columns each week without having to be on the tiles at Parliament itself anymore. So Chris Pink thus joins Maureen Pugh and Simon O'Connor as national MPs having to apologise and walk back comments and opinions they hold. Why can't Chris Luxon say that they are independent thinkers and that they are playing the game of politics. He welcomes independent thinkers in the National Party and that those MPs have nothing to apologise for. That's what a strong National Party leader would do, back his MPs and, incidentally, improve his personal brand at the same time. And as for Chris Pink being accused of bullying, oh boy, if the man who said that is serious... He really should not bother anymore in the competitive world of the media that I used to work in. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. some of your correspondence now which has come into inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057 this from chris sayer peter i enjoyed your show with dr sam bailey very well interviewed and very enlightening very easy to follow her side i agree fully amazing how accepting and unquestioning people are of our poorly trained and out of touch doctors great job thank you chris more on sam bailey coming up later on this afternoon on this show On the matter of GST, Mary writes, uh, Peter, I think they should increase the GST threshold to $80,000, as that would help a lot of independent contractors who earn $60,000. It would be pretty straightforward to implement. They did it when they went from $40,000 to $60,000. Yes, Mary, I think you have a very good point. It's about time that GST threshold was increased from 60000 to 80000 in terms of small traders, people who run Airbnbs, etc., and other small businesses. Inflation has well and truly lifted their income. Uh, on the matter of the football and all the nil-all matches that I've been watching recently, Peter, the sooner football uh, gets rid of the silly offside rule, the better for us on the sideline and for the players and for the referees. More goals and better strategies of play, just as field hockey did. Games are much improved. Thank you, Julian. Very good idea. Yes, hockey got rid of the offside rule, didn't they? And uh, lots and lots of goals started being scored, particularly when they went to the artificial surfaces, uh, surfaces as well. And then this from... Uh, Diana, this is regarding power prices on Stewart Island, which I was talking about back on Monday. I just listened to Peter about local power prices and the whopping price that Stewart Islanders have to pay. Yes, it's 81 cents a unit there, 81 cents a kilowatt hour uh, on Stewart Island. Uh, But what about also mentioning that the Department of Conservation have gone EV, electric vehicle, with all their vehicles on Stewart Island. Oh, the wokeness. But they have to create power from diesel generators to run the EV. Yeah, I'm sure that does happen. That's that's this government for you. They just cannot see through their own stupidity at times. 
uh, particularly inside some of those bureaucratic government departments. Uh, we will have more correspondence here on RCR later this afternoon if you'd like to get in touch. Inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can text on 2057. Dr Sam Bailey's hearing at the Health Practitioners Disciplinary Tribunal seems to be going along pretty much as she predicted in her interview with me here last Friday. Uh, the Medical Council's Professional Conduct Committee, the PCC, is accusing her of inaccurate, misleading and inappropriate videos online and of spreading disinformation. In other words, false information knowingly shared to cause harm. Dr Bailey told me here on Friday she had asked to be deregistered from the Medical Council register some time ago, but they wouldn't do it because she reckons they wanted to bring her to a public hearing and make a big deal out of publicly humiliating her. Uh, Sam Bailey, you might have guessed, is not in the slightest bit concerned. She has not renewed her practising certificate, is not working as a doctor, and wants nothing more to do with allopathic or mainstream medicine. But what would be great in this hearing would be for the Professional Conduct Committee to actually show some of the medical evidence that they say is inaccurate and then have it tested by an independent medical observer or scientist if such a person could be found. I thought some of the comments made by the lawyer for the medical council, Jonathan Coates, were very strange in themselves. He said that the videos made by Sam Bailey were inappropriate. What has inappropriateness got to do with it? Surely it's about whether they are correct or incorrect. Then there's his really strange assertion that it wasn't just what she said, but how she said it with hand signals and memes that was problematic. Dear me, I mean, there were a lot of non-specific charges made against Sam Bailey, but she expected all that. Nobody at the Medical Council is prepared to discuss or argue her scientific theories or medical opinions, so she's just giving up, not in the slightest bothered by whatever sanction they put on her. It will be of no consequence to anyone because she's not interested in working in their jurisdiction again, ever. I think in other places what's happening at this tribunal would be called a show trial. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, you know what the best source of real news about government corruption is these days? It most certainly isn't the mainstream news media. No, it's the Twitter account of Thomas Cranmer. Now, I've been a fan of this guy for months, ever since he started writing stories on Substack about the Mahuta Ormsby clan and the way various members of that family had landed themselves cushy government appointments not that far removed from the then Minister for Local Government and the Associate Minister for the Environment, Nanaya Mahuta. Now, Thomas Cranmer, which is a pseudonym, has moved on to target the Waiperera Trust and its associated entities, the National Urban Māori Authority and the Whanau Order Commissioning Agency. So here is the not very tangled web. John Tamahedi is the president of Te Pāti Māori. Lance Norman is the secretary and treasurer of Te Pāti Māori. 
John Tamahedi is Chief Executive at Waiparera Trust and is also the Chief Executive of the Whanaora Commissioning Agency, whose job it is, is to distribute money from the government for Whanaora services. Lance Norman is a director of the Whanaora Commissioning Agency. The most recent accounts for the Waiparera Trust show that the Whanaora Commissioning Agency provided $16 million to Waiparera for Whanaora services. And then Waiparera took a $6 million management fee to distribute that money. Think about that. It's all taxpayer money paid for by you and me. It costs the government $6 million in management fees for $16 million to be distributed. That is what is called a gravy train, I think. And then beyond that, we know that Te Pāti Māori has received money from Waiparera Trust and which the charity services says must be paid back. But as far as we know so, uh, so far, hasn't been paid back. So Thomas Cranmer has uncovered corruption of the highest order here, hasn't he? Taxpayer money going to a Whanau Order commissioning agency run by a man who was also CEO of the trust receiving that money and getting a whopping management fee for the not-too-onerous job of handing out the money. Then that same man and his accountant mate also run a political party which is not paying back money to the trust that was not allowed to give it to them in the first place. In the end, it looks very much like you and me, the taxpayer, are funding Te Pāti Māori to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that is illegal. But where is the political opposition chasing all this down? Great work, Thomas Cranmer. His Twitter feed is called Cranmer Writes. You should read it. It's great. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media. And now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. More of your correspondence. This lot has actually come in via our Facebook page. You can search for Reality Check Radio. This is in regards to the Dr. Sam Bailey interview last Friday. Just been listening to this over breakfast, writes Julie. Great interview. Would love to read Virus Mania. I managed to get the real Anthony Fauci from the library and have read it twice. It's totally mind-boggling. I'm so glad that the real Anthony Fauci, that's uh, RFK uh, Jr.'s book on Anthony Fauci, is in libraries. I would have thought it might have been one of those publications that various city councils and local authorities which own the libraries would have banned from the shelves, but good to see the book is actually there. Julie, glad you've read it. Uh, Jackie Van Bemmel writes, Hope all goes well, Dr. Sam Bailey, for the hearing, which is on at the moment in Christchurch. Uh, During the past three years, you educated many of us and kept us informed. It sadly comes at a price for many of us. Keep up the fight. Many are behind you. 
And then to the next page, Sarah Delman writes, there is a theory that people who are in close proximity may all appear to have caught a virus because of symptoms, but it could be something in their environment, such as moulds, allergies, etc. I've heard Sam's husband, Mark, talk of this. And Ardness writes, a good interview, but I would have liked to have hear, uh, liked to hear a bit more elaboration on Peter's question of why we get sick. Why do we get sick? I've worked with young children and know that colds and lots of other things, such as conjunctivitis, are contagious. Someone who has built up immunity to colds and who is in good health might not catch what's going around, but others will. It's interesting and would be good to invite Sam back to explain in more depth. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. If you're having problems getting an appointment with your GP in this country, then be rest assured the issue is not confined to New Zealand. According to the Times of London, 30% of England's general practices have been forced to stop offering routine appointments because of the overwhelming demand. So here are the numbers. In June of last year, 2022, GPs in England carried out 25.9 million appointments. In June of this year, that number jumped to... 29.4 million appointments, three and a half million more appointments than just one year previous. But in that time, the number of permanent fully qualified GPs fell by 338 and is now fully 2,000 fewer than seven years ago, 2016, and nearly 1,000 less than in 2019. It's an absolutely extraordinary situation. The demand for doctor's visits is going up, but the number of doctors is falling. I haven't seen any similar statistics in this country, but in the main cities, there are reports, of course, of long waits to see a GP of uh, a week, sometimes two weeks. Uh, My experience is that in provincial towns, it's not quite so drastic with appointments possible in a day or two. But there are two possible solutions to this problem of not getting to see a doctor quickly. One is we train more doctors and have more GPs in our medical centres. Two is we don't get sick so often. And again, I come back to asking, what programmes or promotions is the Ministry of Health or Te Whatu Order or the Māori Health Authority running to encourage healthier lifestyles and therefore healthier people who don't need to go to the doctor so often? Surely this is the best way to solve the so-called health crisis, which is actually not that, It's a sickness crisis, which is struggling to be solved by medical intervention. What we need is a healthier population, an ambulance at the top of the cliff. A healthier population doesn't go to the doctor so often. Or am I just being too logical? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, David Seymour. David Seymour is easily emerging as the best-performing political leader on television this campaign, fresh from his outing on News Hub Nation a week or so back, where he kept his cool against an extraordinary attack of interruptions from the interviewer Simon Shepard. Seymour was on the hooey 
on Monday night, facing another aggressive line of questioning, this time from the host of that program, Julian Wilcox. Now, there is nothing wrong with an aggressive line of questioning, but I seldom see the leaders of the Greens or Te Pati Māori subject to the same aggression and provocation on these shows as Seymour has copped in the last couple of weeks. The thing is, David Seymour is a big boy, a calm, rational, conviction politician who does not lose his rag in the face of what is some pretty outrageous claims being made by the interviewer. I especially love the way he shot down Julian Wilcox on the hui on the matter of a wealth tax. Wilcox said, in reference to Te Pati Māori's 8% wealth tax on the country's richest people, that it would bring in $3.2 billion for the country, which could be used for various social programmes. Seymour, quick as a flash, shot back and said the money was already in the country and the tax would only be transferring it from individuals or companies to the Crown who could not really be trusted to spend it or invest it wisely. Therefore, it was much better to be left in the hands of the wealthy who could reinvest it and grow it even more and create more wealth for the country through the extra company tax that would be paid and the extra jobs that would be created and so on and so forth. It's pretty basic economics, really. So I wait for the day that Raweri Waititi or Marama Davidson is challenged hard by somebody from News Hub about their socialist policies. I can't remember it happening in recent times. In the meantime, David Seymour is becoming absolutely adept at fending off aggressive questioning. I fear that when the time comes, Christopher Luxon will not be made of the same stern stuff. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show for a Wednesday. Thank you so much for your company. If you'd like to get in touch, Inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text number is 2057, or you can look for us on Facebook. Just search for Reality Check Radio. Enjoy your Wednesday evening. I look forward to talking with you again on Friday. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.